This is the 12 Songs of Christmas. My name is Alex Rawls, and this is my podcast about Christmas music. One of the through lines this holiday season is my guests have been in the indie world. Last week, I talked to Jim Goodwin of the website Christmas Underground, who uncovers good indie Christmas music. And this week, my guests all come from that world. I'm going to talk to indie producer and DJ Amerigo Gazaway, who has a number of Christmas projects. Musician Charlie Darling, who records under the name Le Bicyclette de Belsize, and journalist Kevin McGrath, who pulled together more than 100 indie rock Christmas songs for Have Yourself a Merry Indie Christmas, Volumes 1 and 2, both of which are available now on Bandcamp. This interest extends to the writing I do on my blog, myspiltmilk.com. I've always had a hard time accepting the idea that the good music already happened, and through no fault of your own, you missed it. In non-Christmas music, I've always rejected the idea that the best music happened in the 60s and that we're living in the aftermath. And where Christmas music is concerned, I love the classics, but at some point, I got tired of trying to map my holiday experiences onto singers and songs from the 1950s and 60s. There's a lot of music from that period that moves me. But I spent the last 30 years looking for Christmas music that comes from the same world I do. I love sleigh ride, but that hasn't been a legitimate mode of transportation for more than a century. My experience is closer to that of Charlie Darling, who sings in An Indie Rock Christmas about being disappointed when he saw the primitives and they didn't play Crash. In the first season of 12 Songs, I talked to Chris Butler of The Waitresses about how much I liked the way that their Christmas rapping was a song about single people in their 20s who lived skint, messy lives that were focused on weekend nights in the clubs. I recognized those people, whereas the people in Perry Como or Andy Williams songs only existed for me in movies. Indie, in this case, is more about a means of production and funding than a specific sound. It might lack a little polish, but it's not limited to any genre. Producer and DJ Amerigo Gazaway works. I regularly get updates from his Bandcamp page notifying me of the new collaborations, including this year's Strangers, Back to the Lab, a collaboration with rapper Megaran on music based on the most recent season of Stranger Things. A few years ago, I interviewed Megaran about his very random Christmas album for the podcast, where we talked about how each song on it was based on a sample from the Charlie Brown Christmas soundtrack. I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. Gazaway released a few Christmas mixtapes before he recorded a Christmas album titled A Christmas Album in 2018. It's a series of instrumentals, but he has also released a remixed version with uh, vocals attached. And they're, they're very cool. And I think you'll like what he does with it. This holiday season, he's made both of those available as a package on vinyl. Uh, I'm not sure if he's sold out yet as of this point, so if you're interested, check his Bandcamp page. Anyway, we'll delve into a little hip-hop Christmas and his projects, starting with Santa's Workshop from a Christmas album. We'll be back on the other side with Americo Gazaway on 12 Songs.
I'm talking to you from Zagreb, Croatia, right? Correct. Yeah. Yes. So but I know you're from Nashville. So how did we get from Nashville to Croatia? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, basically, yeah, my wife is Croatian. I met her in Nashville. Um, and then we moved to California for a little while. And then during the pandemic, we we moved out here because she got a job in Croatia. And now we're now we're based here in Zagreb. So you're um, you're pretty prolific. How does being there affect your work? Um, I mean, it's good. I, I you know the moving during the pandemic was definitely a, a just a crazy transitional period for all of us, I think. And so it, that kind of threw me off, and I, I kind of lost some momentum there because you know I was just moving and and you know just getting settled into the new a new, new environment and new country. But yeah, now that I've got my studio set up again, um, you know, I'm, I'm getting back into the groove groove and the momentum that I was in before, which is, you know, being prolific and putting out stuff. And, and, uh, we actually just, just bought an apartment. So we're excited about that. And uh, we're going to be moving into there soon and setting up a new studio there. So, so I'll have a new workspace and, and hopefully my wife too. And so, um, and so, yeah, I think it's, a, it's, it's affected, me in a positive way, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I do miss being like surrounded by some of my peers and being able to just, uh, be a little bit more part of a scene. Like when I was in the Bay area, especially like there was a lot of events going on, there were shows, you know, Bun B would come through town and I'd go say what's up or, you know, there would be like hip hop events. I, I DJed more, you know, I, I would connect with people a little more, but I've, but I've actually started connect with some some of the DJs out here too, and and that's been really cool too. And and diving into some of like the ex Yugoslavian jazz and funk and soul scene, and and you know flipping some of those records. And and yeah, I've played some gigs out here too. And and so it's starting it's starting to pay off in in a lot of different ways. And um, and yeah, just all, also just the overhead of you know living out here versus living in the Bay Area, which was super expensive and. And so now, now I actually have the, you know, our overhead is, is lower, but you know, now I have more money to, or, you know, a little bit more ability to like play around with ideas, buy merch or, you know, invest in merch to sell to fans or, you know, uh, do cool, execute cool con- concepts and ideas that, you know, I might not have had the funds or resources to do otherwise. So, right. um, so yeah, in those, in those ways, it's affected my, my career and my prolific positively <laughs> i guess yeah. uh <laughs> is, it, is it easier to to just you know to to get in and grind when you have fewer distractions around you uh definitely yeah i mean i think the time zone difference has also kind of played into that because you know now now during the daytime here like a lot of my friends and fans and everybody i used to like kind of keep in touch with is asleep and so like i kind of get that uh you know, distraction free time during the day now here, whereas when I was living in the States, maybe not, you know, maybe people would be texting me or contacting me or, you know, hitting me up while I'm working more. And so now I think, you know, I have a little less distraction because of the time zone thing. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think that's helpful. Um, and, uh, and yeah, just in general, yeah, I think just, you know, having less distractions, like, you know, there are events that, you know, occasionally like, you know, like I said, I've been hooking up with the DJs around here DJing and, and, you know, occasionally like Rakim will come to town or somebody, some, you know, famous rapper, hip hop legend will come through. And of course we'll, we'll come out and support. Um, so there's still events and, and 
quote unquote distractions, but, um, but, but not as many. So, so yeah, I think I, I, I am getting more into a groove of just of being more productive in, in the studio and just cranking out a lot of material. Cause I've, I've just been sitting on a lot of stuff. I have a hard drive full of music that I, that I want to release into the world to make space like physically and emotionally for me to create new stuff. And, um, and I'm also, you know, exploring like different sides to my artistry too, because, you know, I've been doing the mashup remix thing for a long time, but I, I really want to start exploring more of like the, the instrumental beat production side of what I do and also, uh, rapping as well, which is something I, I enjoy doing. So, um, so yeah, that's, this is kind of giving me the time to kind of explore some of those things as well. Oh, that's great. I want to go back to yeah. what you just said. I want to ask you to see if you could expand a little on it. Cause I think this is really interesting talking sure. about sort of not being able not being able to really move on until you get a certain amount of the material that you've kind of got backlogged out into the world. Can you talk a little about that cuz I think that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's you know, it's something I've tried to become better at over the years because I I did I I am a perfectionist and I did used to sit on a lot of my material until it became outdated until it becomes irrelevant, you know? And, and, but then by the time you want to put out a, it out into the world, it doesn't even make sense or it doesn't align with how you're feeling at the moment anymore. And so, you know, lately I've been trying to just really put things out in the moment that I feel they need to be released in, you know, and, and not, not hold on to them forever or, or, you know, like with producers and hip hop, especially like a lot of times we'll make beats, but we'll, we'll save it for, you know, oh, maybe, maybe if I meet Jay-Z one day, you know, he'll <laughs> rap on this beat or whatever. You will save our beats or we'll save our tracks for different things. Like, no, like link up with the best MC in your city or your community or in your network and put it out and like move on to the next or rap on it yourself or do a remix with it or something. So I'm, I'm really trying to look at my hard drive now and just figure out like, you know, where does this, like a music supervisor would almost like, where does this track belong? Like, should it be placed in a film or, or commercial? Should it be a soundtrack? Should it have a rapper on it? Should it have an MC on it? Should it be an instrumental track? Where does it belong? And how can I facilitate getting it there? Because, you know, it's, it, it is useless sitting on my hard drive in a graveyard of beats, you know, it it needs to exist in the world. And, and the more I do that, the more I'm inspired and fueled to, to do that even more because it's just a, you know, uh, uh, a circle, you know, or a self-fulfilling prophecy, because, you know, the more stuff I put out, the more feedback I get from fans and, and that inspires me to keep moving. And now that, you know, now that I'm putting out some of this, is, you know, like I said, I, I've, I've been doing the mashups for a really long time and, and, and I'm only now really starting to explore kind of like the instrumental side of what I do and some of the other things that I do. And, and now that I'm putting that stuff out, I'm starting to see people that are, you know, really like, uh, affected by it or, or they're really, uh, it's helping them get through their day or their week or something like that. You know, a, a beat that's just been sitting on my hard drive for 10 years is helping somebody like, you know, get through their midterm finals or whatever it is in college, like, or, you know, helping them bond o- over hip hop with their kids or something. So, you know, it's just like, when I see stuff like that, it's just like, it, it inspires me and, and want, makes me want to, you know, not hold on to things and, and really just uh, keep moving and getting better, you know, because like, I think, uh, we can get stuck. It's easy to get stuck in perfectionism, you know, mm-hmm. sometimes. Are you starting to connect with, uh, with rappers in, in your region, starting to, starting to find people to collaborate with there? Um, a little bit more, more, more so DJs right now, but, um, but I do want to start connecting with some of the MCs and rappers, uh, 
in the region. You know, I still don't know. I still don't understand Croatian fully, but I am I am learning and 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 music is definitely a big part of that. You know, like listening to Croatian music and digging at the record stores for Croatian ex Yugoslavian jazz and funk and soul and and um and then you know yeah connecting with some of the DJs here. They're putting me on to different rappers and MCs around here. But I haven't really connected with with any MCs around here particularly. Um, but but I do want to start doing that. And, you know, I have been connecting with like Napoleon, the legend and, and other MCs like that. He's in Berlin and uh, rappers like A1 and Megaran and, and, you know, people all over that, that I respect and, and, you know, look up to and, and want to work with, you know? And so, um, so yeah, it's, it's been, it's been awesome to kind of like uh, be part of a collaborative process, you know, like for years I've been very like hermit, like in my studio, just making these mashups and doing everything by myself. And, and it, I've only, again, only now recently kind of started to collaborate with, more with other people. And that's been really, really great because, you know, there's always something other people bring to the table and, and it, it's really excited to have somebody on the other end, you know, fueling that, that fire and that motivation. So, um, yeah, I was about to ask you about, collaborating you just re uh, recently released an album with uh, megaran uh, i was at strangers back to the lab and uh, i yeah, guess yeah. he had that he had done after the first season of stranger things he had done uh a an album or ep of tracks that were all about stranger things and y'all just did one based on the fourth season right uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it kind of covers a little bit of all of it, but yeah, it was more kind of inspired by the fourth season. All the track, all the track names on the project are, are episode titles from the fourth season. Nines in the stash box, catching the bus to high school in the fall. Nerds playing the shadows, bullies rolling the hall. Now I'm caught in the middle and find myself upside down, trying to make sense of it all. Staying in trouble. Tell me about the process of collaborating with with Mega or with any of the people you just Napoleon, the legend, any of these people. Tell me about the process of collaborating from this distance. Yeah, it's interesting. It is, you know, I still have. I've only met Megaran once in person. I, I met him at like a game conference in California. I, I, I rushed him and said, what's up to him. And, and because I mean, I've always been a huge fan and, and now it's, it's great to actually work with him, but you know, I've still never met Napoleon in person. I'm actually going to Berlin in December. So I'm looking forward to actually linking up with Napoleon in person too. But, um, but you know, it's, it's, it's still, you know, really great. Like, like the friendship is still, still there, you know, we talk and, and communicate often and, you know, it still feels like we know each other and, and, you know, the distance hasn't really affected, you know, the, the collaborative process so much, although it would be great to, to be like in the same room at some point. That's what I, you know, I'm, I look forward to doing maybe more, uh, in the future when, when I, when I have the resources to either fly them here or, you know, meet up in the same city, but. Um, but no, it's been great, you know, like, uh, um, with the mega Rand project that came about with, that came about basically I was, I started working on like a stranger things remix, uh, for the fourth season. I think I was, I was writing to the Kate Bush thing, uh, running up the hill and then, 
Uh, I think I posted something like a little snippet on Instagram or something about it. Just like, Hey, I'm working on this stranger things project, like stay tuned. And, and mega Rand saw it and hit me up and he was like, Oh, you're working on something. I'm working on something too. So that's kind of how that came about. And so we started collaborating and throwing ideas back and forth. And, and, uh, since I had already written, like I'd already written like four verses to the Kate Bush running up the hill thing. So it didn't make sense for him to get on that. I was like, well, let's do a different joint. So we sampled the Metallica joint, the, the master of puppets. And then once we did that and I was like, I was just like, well, why don't we just do a whole, you know, volume two for your strangers, you know, project that you did. So that's kind of, um, how that project evolved. And then we just, we, it really just happened like in a whirlwind of like a week, you know, like his producers were sending beats. I was making beats and rapping on all them. And, and, you know, we just cooked it all up over like a week. My art, my, my friend art web helped me mix and master it. And, uh, and we put it out. Um, and so that was, that was really fun also just kind of, it was almost, almost like a jam session or like a, like a homework assignment that we just had to get done. Um, and I, I like working like that too, you know, just kind of giving yourself limitations because, because of that perfectionism can kind of be, um, dehabilitating sometimes to the creative process. So you've had a really pretty varied and active career making a lot of different kinds of beats, but you're particularly associated with sort of mashups and kind of like next level combinations of music and vocals that didn't initially live together. What makes your mashups different from others? Uh, that's a good question. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, with the mashup projects that I do, the, the soulmates projects in particular, um, you know, I really try to, first off, I really try to think of, you know, the artists that I'm combining and, and why they, they should be combined and, and what makes sense about that. And, you know, I'll go, I'll even go as deep as, as, you know, reading their autobiographies and really finding out like, you know, things about their stories and their histories and their lives that, that, that coincide or maybe overlap and working that into the project. And, and so I think that's, there's like a level of research that I do with those projects that I think maybe, maybe some mashup artists don't necessarily do with their blend tapes. You know, there, there's a lot of great blend tape artists out there that, that are doing mashups that are, that are great. You know, it's awesome for the DJs It's awesome for, you know, radio shows. It's awesome just for listening, but it's, it's with my projects, I really am trying to give, give it like a more educational element, I guess. And, and really kind of give the listener like a, a glimpse of who that those artists are, you know, what their person, personal like stories were involved with their music and then like how that related to their music. And, and it's almost like an audio documentary in a way and a tribute in a way. And so I think that's what kind of separates or, you know, kind of uh, makes my projects a little bit different from other mashup projects. And I, and I also try to like, yeah, just make it seem like they're, that they're in the studio together live, that they're, you know, having a conversation basically. And I, I'll do things where I, you know, I find things that they're talking about and have them finish each other's sentences or, finish each other's lines and words or thoughts, you know, musically and, and, you know, really make it so that they're on the same song together and they're talking about the same singing or rapping about the same topics. And, and they're, they're actually like having that conversation. So it's more than just finding like a nice BPM and a nice acapella that syncs up in key, you know, which, which is also fun too.
first Christmas projects I'm aware of from you are the uh, hip hop Christmas mixtapes. Were those your first, your first, you know, sort of attempts to do something with Christmas music? Uh, let's see. The first Christmas thing I did, I think, was the Crunk Christmas mix, which is which is just an utterly ridiculous mix, mix mash of like the most obnoxious, uh, unfamily friendly Christmas music <laughs> you could <laughs> you could think of. Uh, it's just a guilty pleasure mix that I made one night. I think I was actually performing with my friend This Is Art that night at Twelfth and Porter in Nashville, and you know, it was, it, I think we were opening up for some big electronic DJ or something like that. So the crowd. They were there to party. They they wanted to turn up. They wanted to get live, and but I also wanted to work because it was like close to Christmas. It was like the week of Christmas or something. I almost also wanted to work Christmas into the mix. So I found like you know a collection of the most crazy, crunkest, trappiest trap Christmas songs that I could find, and and you know made this. It's like a 15, 20 minute mini mix or something, but it's got like Ludacris in it and Diplo and Major Lazer and Easy E and like you know, a bunch of crazy stuff, just off the wall Christmas stuff that you would never expect. Um, so that was the first Christmas mix that I, that I did. And like I said, it was just kind of a joke, fun thing, but it's actually become like a staple. Like a lot of my fans tell me like they listen, they, they listen to it every year. Like their Christmas isn't the same unless they listen to it once, once a year. And it's funny how that, that mix has taken off sort of. Um, and then after that, a few years later, I, I do love Christmas. Obviously I've done a lot of Christmas fixes. So, uh, a few years later, I did the Players' Holiday Christmas mixtape, um, which is uh, which is a little bit more. It's kind of it's definitely not as crazy or obnoxious as the Crunk Christmas. It's a little more family friendly. There's there's maybe some like some bad naughty Santa stuff in there, like soul songs, blues songs, you know, about Sam backdoor Santas and stuff like that. But uh, it's mostly like more funk and soul and hip hop like Christmas mixtape that you can actually kind of listen to in more of a party. Or, you know, dinner, family setting. After the player's holiday mixtape i did the actual a christmas album which is like a, more of an instrumental beat beat tape christmas beat tape uh reinterpreting a bunch of my favorite like christmas classics right um let's come back to that one in a minute before we get away from uh sure yeah get away from these the previous ones with um is it uh, player's ball um or player's holiday player's yeah. holiday sorry that um one of the things I've been thinking about is hip hop Christmas. And I actually, I had mega ran uh, on the show a few years ago talking about hip hop Christmas. And I've done a, done a few Christmas uh, hip hop shows, but for me, it's always a challenge. There's, there's not a lot. And most people point to about the same four or five Christmas songs. And that's kind of all that they can think of. Um, as somebody who has both tried to DJ, work with it, and who likes Christmas music, do you have sort of either favorite Christmas songs or frustrations with hip hop Christmas music, or thoughts about Christmas hip hop Christmas music in general? Yeah, yeah, no, it's definitely a niche, a niche 
niche thing. It's um, <clears throat> it's funny because you know hip hop. It is so hip hop has kind of this macho gangster kind of appeal to it that you know like Chris Christmas doesn't necessarily jive with or fit in with you know. And I think that's one of the reasons you don't see more hip hop Christmas stuff because it's hard to be gangster and hard when you're you know talking about jingle bells and wearing a beard or Santa hat or whatever. But, um, but, you know, I think, I think that, you know, some people have done it well and, and, you know, with, with the Christmas, like the players holiday mix, for instance, you know, like there is only like a handful of really good listenable hip hop Christmas songs to, to pull from. And so that was a challenge, but then, you know, that's also why I also kind of started getting creative and thinking outside the box by that's why I called it players holiday, because then I, I included the track, um, players holiday. And then, uh, I included a a bunch of other hip hop songs about holidays, you know, every day is a holiday, another dollar day, you know? And so I kind of started to think of outside the box, like what are some songs, hip hop songs that are Christmas songs without that aren't Christmas songs. You know what I mean? It's, it's about a holiday or it's about giving thanks or it's about feasting or giving gifts or something like that. So that's, I guess one way around it that I tried to like, uh, expand my pool of songs to use when, when I was trying to come up with a DJ mix was, you know, coming up with, and, and you know, not just hip hop, but yeah, funk songs, soul songs, you know, one of my friends a few years ago did a great like, uh, Thanksgiving mix. And it was just, it was all just songs about food, you know, like green onions, Booker T or like stuff, stuff like it wasn't like songs about Thanksgiving necessarily, right. but, um, you know, there's, there's ways you can do it like that. But, um, but yeah, I think, you know, uh, I don't know. I, I think one of the reasons I did the like I, I do these Christmas tapes and I do especially the the Christmas a Christmas album that I did was because a lot of the not not necessarily hip hop but just like reinterpretations of Christmas music that I hear tend to be like a little bit unlistenable like um not like I said not so much hip hop but more so like in just the the EDM or the electronic realm like like anytime you type in just Christmas remix you know it, it, and Google it on YouTube it's usually just really bad and unlistenable and so like I just wanted to make something that was you know family friendly that like you could throw on in the background it's groovy it's chill um and but you can also party to it and you know open presents whatever yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um so, so what was your experience with Christmas music growing up um, my experience with Christmas music, um, uh, well, actually the whole, going back to the, the Christmas album thing, that was whole, the whole project was kind of inspired by, um, these, these mixtapes that my dad used to get sent to him from this guy named Beetle Bob. Um, I've met Beetle Bob. And he's, you've heard of Beetle Bob? I've met Beetle Bob. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. So my dad is on his mailing list and he sends out, (laughs) he sends out every year, he sends out these amazing Christmas mixes. And, you know, that's what we listened to growing up. I was, I remember being a kid growing up, he would, you know, my dad, he's a jazz musician. He toured as Gary Gazaway, El Bujo. And so Beetle Bob would always come to his shows and, and yeah, my dad ended up on his mailing list and, and we would get these CDs every year. And, and it was just uh, a total mix of, Christmas holiday novelty songs from all different genres, as you can imagine, like from rockability to reggae to punk to hip hop, whatever. And so um, those were really inspiring growing up. And every year I was excited to go visit my dad because that meant I get to I, I get to rip or burn this, the new Beatle Bob Christmas mixtape for that year. And then I'd take it back to Nashville and listen to it. And that's actually how I discovered a lot of these songs and 
you know, I'm sure a lot of the songs from those mixtapes ended up being sampled on, on some of these mixes and projects that I've done. So, and, uh, but you know, Beetle Bob would also take the time to like put in all these little skits and interludes in, in the mixtapes too, of like different snippets from Christmas movies and commercials and old records and holiday jingles and stuff like that. And, and so that was really inspiring as well as a, as a hip hop head, you know, it's very, it was very like a, something a hip hop person would do, I guess. Um, even though I wouldn't associate Beetle Bob as particularly hip hop. Um, but anyway, so the, the Christmas album that I did, you know, includes a lot of those little skits and samples and, and snippets, you know, kind of in tribute to that. And, uh, and yeah, so that was kind of my experience growing up, basically just listen, we, th- those Beetle Bob mixtapes were, were the Christmas soundtrack that, and, uh, my stepmom used to listen to the Carpenters Christmas a lot. She used to wear that out. So has that shown up uh, yet? Not yet. Not, not yet, but, um, I, I am considering doing, uh, my wife said I should do another Christmas album volume two <laughs> <laughs> and, and call call it another Christmas album. So, so there might be another one in the works, but, um, it's Christmas time. So when you made uh, a Christmas album, there's actually, there's two versions of it, right? There's the one that is simply the instrumentals, and then there's a version with, uh, with vocals, with vocals attached. Yeah. Yeah. The remixes. Yeah. Did they come out together or, uh, or slightly apart? What was the story? Uh, I think they actually came out together. Yeah. I I did the Christmas album and then, you know, a lot of times when in my creative process, I, uh, you know, I'll work on something and then, the, and then the last moment I'll, I'll do something drastic or change something about the project or I'll, I'll add to it or, you know, I'm very sporadic like that. So, and this was one of those occasions where, you know, where I did finish the Christmas album and I was about to put it out. I was about to press the button. I was like, you know what? I should do some remixes. Why not do some remixes? So I just did some remixes. It was like, <laughs> I did it in like a week or two or you know, a few days or something. I came up with the whole remixes version because, well, cause also I had recently started my subscription and thing. And so I wanted to kind of have like a different version of like bonus content for, for the subscribers. So, so now I'm trying to, when I put out a project, some, sometimes now I'm like, well, how can I, you know, put out another version of the project for the subscribers? It's like more bonus or, you know, includes more content. And so that was, that was kind of one of the thought processes behind it, but also, you know, uh, the moment I started playing around with it, you know, the songs just came together like the Erica Badu and, you know, some of those songs just really feel like they were meant to, meant to go together. And again, I was kind of trying to go for acapellas or, you know, songs that maybe lent themselves to, to Christmas or Christmas emotions, you know, like, uh, like the song cry or, or you know, lonely Christmas, you know, with Jay-Z or, you know, I, I was trying to pick songs that might, might fit with the Christmas theme, you know, both lyrically and, and like sonically. So it's Christmas. It was all a dream. I used to read word up magazine. Pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Magic, Molly Moss. I let my tape rock to my tape pop. 
smoking weed and bamboo, sipping on private stock. Way back when I had the red and black lumberjack with the hat to match. By now, you've had enough of a career and done enough. I'd imagine there are people who both want mixes and there are people who simply want to hear, you know, hear your your musical work and hear, you know, want to hear what you make. Uh, so things like, like you would have an audience for the instrumental version in addition to the remix, I would assume. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think, you know, like I said, I think over the past five years or so, I've started to build more of an audience for my instrumental stuff and, and some of the other facets of what I do. You know, again, I think those first five years, it was just I was just kind of going hard with the mashups. And then I started to kind of put a little bit more of myself out there. And now that now that I've done that, you know, I think it's it's not as strange and it's not as weird for me to drop a something else that's not a mixtape or a mashup anymore. Whereas before it was like, you know, people might have been a little bit confused. Um, but, you know, I, it's it's funny because, you know, I, I started out before all the mashup stuff, I was doing this. I was making beats. I was making instrumentals. I was writing raps. I was making hip hop. And, and the mashup thing kind of was just a, a sidetrack journey to, to where I am now. And I do plan to continue doing it, um, you know, when I have like an idea that, that sparks my imagination. But, but at the same time, you know, uh, you know, I have to like evolve as an artist too. So, so. Oh, sure. I found Charlie Darling and Le Bicyclette de Belsize by accident. Andy Partridge of XTC released an EP of Christmas music this year titled My Failed Christmas Songwriting Career. And I was looking online to see if it existed in digital spaces. So far, it doesn't. But while searching Bandcamp, I found a song titled Andy Partridge, which was a version of the 12 Songs of Christmas using band names with numbers as the lyrics with each verse ending not with a partridge in a pear tree, but Andy Partridge from XTC. That's on Le Bicyclette de Belsai's 2018 album, The Twelve Songs of Christmas, which I immediately liked, and as I checked out the band's page, I found that it had actually a lot of Christmas music. I reached out to Charlie Darling to talk about the project, Christmas music, and after we hear Andy Partridge, which he had to retitle A Partridge in a Pear Tree for the streaming services, We'll hear that interview. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me Andy Partridge from XTC. On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me Two tries by Frankie, Andy Partridge from XTC. On the third day of Christmas, my true love gave to me So I want to start that with sort of the newest thing that I just uh, saw that um, I guess the beginning of the month that the have yourself an indie Christmas uh, yes. compilation, uh, sort of a, a two, two batches of, uh, of uh, music yeah. uh, uh, came out and you had the yes. title track, have yourself an indie Christmas. Can you tell me about the compilation yeah. and the song? 
Uh, well, the compilation was um, a guy in Bristol called Kevin. And I think he put out a, uh, a, an album last year for charity, for Crisis at Christmas. And I don't know if you know in the States, but Crisis are a homeless charity and they look after the homeless and particularly at Christmas. Obviously, you know, it's cold, it's wet, it's miserable here in the UK. <laughs> and and they do a lot of work to, to make sure that people are fed. They they are given shelter over the Christmas period and they're looked after, they're cleaned up and, and that sort of thing. So he had the idea, I think, last year of putting out an album of Christmas songs and he wanted to do it again this year. So And he managed to get, I think, nearly 100 artists or so and just for a double album and everyone was just generously you know donating their their tracks i mean bands that i love the lilac time i'm mm. i'm a huge fan of stephen duffy and his work and to to be on an album with him uh, that was enough for me i was just like yeah of course i'll <laughs> of course i'll do it. so that was and there's there's so many i think there's there's bands from all over the world. There's, there's lots of bands from the States on there. There's the English band. There's a track by Helen Love, who you may or may not know. Um, I'm on that as well. I'm singing. It's one of those ones where she invited lots of different people to sing a line. Oh, cool. It's one of those like celebrity, <laughs> um, you know, well, the world type, but without famous people, people right. like me. So, so I've got a line on that. So I'm, <laughs> so I'm on two songs. And and Kevin was just like, yeah, I, I really like the idea of, you know, an indie Christmas. And he'd heard my track, and so he thought that would be a, it'd be a good one to put on there. So I was really pleased with that. It's a it's a bit of a it's a bit of a fun song. It's about I got the idea from being a bit tired of hearing Mariah Carey's "All I <laughs> All I Want for Christmas," and I thought, what do, what do I want for Christmas? And I don't want to hear. Mariah Carey and the usual, usual all the time. And I thought, well, what do I want? I want bands that I like. Right. <laughs> so it's a it's a purely selfish sort of record. I, I want to hear the Orchids. I want to hear Stephen Duffy and Edwin Collins and and uh, Helen Love and, and Friends Again, who are a particular favourite of mine. I want to hear those bands. So if someone bought me presents and those re- the presents were those records, that's it. That's all I want for Christmas. Right. Sat on a hill at indie tracks Watching the primitives But they didn't play Crash In a London bar called the Borderline To see the lilac time There was a cancelled sign Now all I want for Christmas Are the orchids on C86 on your band camp page that yes. i think seven of the 20 releases on there are christmas <laughs> releases yes um, <laughs> guilty <laughs> why make christmas such a part of your musical identity I think it's something that I, I just love the idea of Christmas songs. Obviously, growing up with with the, the big hits of the day, you know, your Slades and your Paul McCartney and things like that. And I just 
I, I think a few years ago, I set myself a challenge of trying to write one a year. And I just sort of sort of kept going. And I, I just always in, in this 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 particular, you know, Les Bicyclette and Charlie Darling, I kept doing one a year. And I've done some previously with other bands. I think if you write, well, my, my idea is you, you need to try to write a good song and then make it about Christmas. Don't write a Christmas song and just just throw in words about Christmas trees and toys and presents and and try not to be, you know, try to make it a good song. I think that's what I've tried to do. <laughs> this doesn't always work, but no, there are there are only so many rhymes with toys, <laughs> girls and boys, um, and things like that. So it, it, it's hard to write write a good Christmas song. Yeah. Does it, are there things about Christmas or the Christmas season that inspire you, or is this or is this an, or really a an artistic challenge to? To, to nail I down think, Christmas songs, I think it is. I think it can be a challenge. I think you can go down the the, the easy route of just imagining, uh, you know, Christmas trees and Santa Claus and sleigh rides and and things like that. And other times, I've thought, no, I need to. For example, there's one track on the 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 twelve song, the twelve days album, which is Boxing Day. And that came about. I was walking home one day, the day after Christmas, and I could see already people had thrown away Christmas cards and there were Christmas trees on the street. And I thought, that's it, Christmas is over, you know? And I just, and it's that whole thing of the saddest sight, you know, about Christmas is when it's over, you know? Yeah. So I thought, okay, I'll write a song about Boxing Day. Uh, <laughs> and uh, uh. and then try to, to write a songs, songs about New Year and, and things like that. And how about writing a song about going Christmas shopping? which used to be a thing. And after, right. you know, post-COVID, post I'm not sure that Christmas shopping is such a thing these days. I, d I don't know. wonder if just sort of the whole level of heightened emotions makes it a subject uh, for for writing and particularly even like subtle emotions like even when you are in the process uh when you are shopping there's that yes. moment of choosing something and deciding like is this the right thing is yes. this too much is this too little is this going to land the way i hope it lands and there's a whole lot of like really, on one hand, it's really low grade stuff, but the anxiety is very real and very palpable while you're in the middle of it. It is. I and I I have worked in a in a bookshop at Christmas, and I've I've seen how people, you know, it was one of those stack them, you know, pile them high, sell them cheap, those right, sorts sure. of things, and they're usually celebrity autobiographies or cookery books and you just see these things flying off the shelf and you think oh, have you thought about that yeah or have you just thought that'll do 
you know, I'll just buy that for this, that, and the other. And, and, and you're right. But I also had, it's also the memories. I think it's the memories of going Christmas shopping with your parents and just the excitement of the lights and the, you know, there, there might be a choir playing or a band playing or, you know, just that, that, that feeling. Um, so I think a lot of it with me is sentimentality. Sure. It's that either remembering how Christmas used to be or how I'd, how I'd like Christmas to be. Sure. I'd like it to be an old black and white film. You know, one of my favorite films is The Bishop's Wife with Cary Grant and David Niven. And I'd like Christmas to be that that film <laughs> rather, than, <laughs> rather than the, you know, the commercial thing it is now, you know, sure. or and has been for a long time. What, how did Christmas music factor into your life as a kid growing up? Um, well, I think it was just, it was one of those things where, and this may sound like a cliche, but back in, back in the day when you only would have had one radio or one record player, and we would have had that one Christmas album. And as a, as a family, you knew when Christmas was coming because the Christmas album would come out. And in my case, when I was small, it was the, the Gene Autry Christmas wow. album which is just amazing. There's just, and, and you just play it over and over and never get tired of those 12 songs or whatever it was. And then of course the Elvis Christmas album, which is just a delight, you know, and when you, when you realize he recorded that, what was it in August in Los Angeles or something. Right. Something. Yeah. <laughs> and they had to, so some, I think they had to recreate, snow or something to make El get put Elvis in the mood for you know yeah so it, it it was that yeah is it a cliche I don't know but it's the family around the record player putting that those records on because I think in the early days they it wasn't so commercial having a Christmas certainly not in the UK mm -hmm. we weren't we weren't bombarded in the shops with you know the Christmas loop that just plays the same songs over and over and over again they, it, it wasn't like that. I think we we were more used to ha to hearing is it's like a Salvation Army band and and things like that. So again, is it my memory <laughs> playing tricks? I don't know. But sure. The news is out, and I've been told it came by wire from the Great North Pole. I'm sure each boy and girl he heard Santa Claus has got a new whirly bird. Santa's coming in a whirly bird Christmas night in a whirly bird. So if you're good and you don't do, the whirly bird's gonna land on your roof. Whirly bird, whirly bird, whirly bird. I, I'm fascinated by this, like because obviously being you know in the states that we've had you know such a machine built around christmas for so long um and and it and it feels like longer but like yes you know i've written about um the all christmas radio format like you know here at some point yeah. you know they radio stations will switch entirely to, to uh all christmas music and it feels like it's been doing that forever and it it Actually, first year was 1993, I'm pretty sure. Right. Yeah, uh, radio station. Yes, 93, I know that's right. 
Uh, it was a radio station in um, Phoenix, Arizona. It was the first one to do this. And so it wasn't forever, but it all just, you know, in our memory, it all backs up and all sort of crashes together. But the idea, you know, when you're here and you're living it, it feels like this is the way it is everywhere. And the idea that Brit- that in, in the UK, there's an entirely different tradition and that many of the songs that have become, you know, that have exhausted us never, never factored there. And the idea that for so many people here, Slade doesn't cross Slade and wizard mean nothing to them. And, uh, which I, which I still find, I still find astounding. Uh, Cause we get, we get so much of it, you know, it's, um, and, and it's almost as if when you watch TV programs that are set around Christmas in the background, we'll be Slade, we'll be wizard, (laughs) we'll be mud, we'll be Paul McCartney. And it's almost as if, and I think we haven't moved on. And I think there was, there was in the UK, there was the now that's what I call music series of compilations. And I think in the late eighties, they brought out now that's what I call Christmas. Right. And it had for the first time, all those songs um, on one record. And it's almost as if time has stood still with those songs in the UK. They, they represent Christmas. And you just think to yourself, well, before they were written, what did we have? Right. I suppose we had, Johnny Mathis and and Bing Crosby and and things like that. But but you're right. And and now it's you go into a supermarket and they've got that album playing now. Yeah. It's lazy. It's lazy. I think it's you know they they've not thought about it, which is why I kind of like well what they call alternative Christmas. But then when does alternative become? mainstream because the, certainly in the UK for the last 10 years, the, the national radio stations have been putting out this alternative Christmas music, but it, it's not alternative anymore. It's because now that's what you hear all the time. So Right. Well, you know, I'm fascinated by this, but I think this is, you know, I mean, we, and we have a version of the same thing that, yeah. you know, for a long time, there was a belief that pretty much, you know, all that, you know, almost all the canonical Christmas songs, all the favorites, were really recorded by 1964 or so or earlier. And yes. But you've had since then, you know, McCartney has become a standard. Uh, I mean, yes. that's a radio regular. That you do have Mariah Carey is 1994, and that is absolutely a, a regular you know, Wham's Last Christmas is yep. 82, 84, 84. And that yes. is also, so yeah. we have, you know, it's still from right now, that's 40 years ago. Yes. But at the same time, it is, it is, you know, there was a point where it seemed impossible to get anything after <laughs> 1964, 65. Yes. To be, to, 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 to register as, as, as valid Christmas music. Yes. Uh, so it was Bing Crosby and yes, Johnny Mathis and yeah. But I think um, certainly in, in the UK, it became a thing to get the Christmas number one right. in our Christmas charts. And, and I think the theory behind that was that people that didn't know anything about popular music, so your auntie, your, your uncle, would think, what can I buy 
you know, what can I buy Charlie for Christmas? Yeah. I know I'll go and buy, I go into the record shop and I'll say, what's the Christmas number one or what's number one? Yeah. I don't have no idea, but whatever's number one, I'm sure Charlie will love it. So I'll, I'll buy it. And, and so it became so important to get that Christmas number one. And they were, they were selling uh, four to one. Right. What the next record was. Yeah. So it, it became certainly in the era of the talent, you know, the talent contest, Simon Cowell. Sure. Obviously, be <laughs> yes. aware of. Yes. You know, it became so important to have that that Christmas number one. Yeah. And it, it could be any old nonsense. It, it just, okay. you know. Swing back to to uh, something something I want to hear more of, rather than less of, and that is yeah. uh, in 2020 you released uh, a Morstan tale and other Christmas stories. So yes. first, what is the significance of Morstan to you? That's where I live. Oh, okay. That's a village in Norfolk, which is in the East Midlands of the UK, okay. and that's the village where, where I live. So I. I'd released that as, uh, again, a, a kind of a, a fundraising album for the for the community. Just because I'm involved in sort of fundraising activities for the community, sort of. Yeah, and it just seemed like, well, what can I do? You know, what can I do to raise money? So I, I, I did the CD and sold the CD and raised a little bit of money just to, to put towards community community things and I just thought it's a, it's a fun thing to do could I could I write a song about where I live and you know the frosted fields and stuff like that we, we are deep in the countryside which is which is nice so yeah that's what that was about and then just trying to sort of put together my sort of favorite Christmas songs or Christmas music as right. it were so that that was the thinking behind that one. So, and this was in this is 2020, and so Ooh. this was was during COVID. So this was yeah, basically keeping me occupied during June, July, and right. August when all the best Christmas song, right, <laughs> Christmas music is made. And I do remember, um, I think with Bethan who's singing on Silent Night. I do remember it was one of the hottest days of August. Ah, ah. And we're singing Silent Night, Holy Night. And it was one of those, yes, this is the right time to be doing. Um, I think you know, I think I did In the Deep Midwinter as well in that one. So, yeah. Oh, that's funny. So- it was a nice thing to be doing. And, again, the, the beauty of modern technology means you can you can sit at home and you can still make music. Yeah, yeah. So that was, that was some, yeah, one of the nice things. Now, I would also imagine that in – you know, 
I, I, that thinking about 2020, which I think we're all going to end up sort of unpacking for de- for a long time. A long time, but, yes. You know, the 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 key line in there is you're not alone. And thinking about how, at least here, you know, how to the degree to which we did, you know, spend so much time in our houses and spent yes. so much time away from other people. Yes. Was there a consciousness of trying to write a song for a moment? When people were feeling alone, yes, there was the, there was that. It's 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 like a coming home song. I think that was what I was trying to achieve with the walking across the frosted fields and seeing the various animals in the, in the fields. And if you could imagine a a scene where you can see a house and you can see a light and I suppose light at the end of the tunnel type thing, but that warm feeling you get from you're out in the cold, but don't worry over there is, is a place and there's warmth and there's, there's companions, companions and, and friends and family. And it's that, yeah, don't, don't worry. It was, I think I was trying to be uplifting. Yes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I I mean, I was thinking that I, I liked the reassurance that, yes, that even if I even if we can't be together right now, yeah. we're still here for each other. We're still here. Yes, yeah. exactly. It was that. It, it was that kind of coming coming home. Yes. Yeah. We don't don't worry. Don't worry. <laughs> we're going to be okay. We're going to get through this. And I think I think almost by the end of 2020, we thought we'd got through it. And then of course we went through it again. So. Christmas music play in the start of your career? Um, nothing. <laughs> nothing. <laughs> no, nothing, nothing at all. At the, at, the, at the beginning, when I started doing all this, I just wanted to be in a band. Sure. I was in a, I was in a four piece band, all young guys jumping up and down, hitting our guitars as hard as we could, having a good time, not getting anywhere, but, no, yeah. it didn't didn't really do anything until I'd almost had my career as whatever my career was. Um and I could I didn't have to write songs that a management company or a record label would say, we need this, we need a hit, we need commercial, we need this, we need a chorus, we need that, this sort of thing. When when that had kindly sort of died out and was all over, I could then sit down and be a bit more retrospective and start thinking about what I actually like doing. So, and that's when I started writing Christmas songs. Did Christmas music, when you were a kid, do you think that influenced your ideas about what good music is? Oh, definitely. I think from my perspective, knowing how to write a verse and a chorus with a really good hook that's always been my thing I've always tried to have melody with whatever I do I don't I don't know clever chords I don't know 
clever guitar lines. I, I you know, I, I grew up listening to T-Rex and Slade. So I know, I know three chords and I, I know how to weave a melody around those three chords. I couldn't, you know, um, I'm, I'm not Steely Dan. I can't. <laughs> I can't, I can't do that. So, and you say, you know, I grew up listening to to, to bands like T-Rex and, and Slade and, and you just get that pop thing. Um, and I know a lot of people dismiss them as being pop and lightweight and things like that, but I, I love them, you know. I listen to them all the time. Count down the days behind every closed door. Secrets and much more I don't want to fight again I want a shooting star To find my way home I have to tell you that my current favorite uh, my current favorite song, period, much less Christmas song is a bad Christmas cover version. <laughs> I'm glad you... <laughs> What, what, where did that oh, one come from? Oh, that actually, it took me about a year to do that one. <laughs> and it was because it was actually the, the previous Christmas and I was somewhere listening to Christmas music being played and I heard of cover of Mud's Lonely This Christmas. I don't know if you know that one over there. And it was terrible <laughs> um and i don't know just i was just in in that mood <laughs> I, I i i wasn't trying to be nasty um i was trying to suggest what you should have done is you should have you should have done one by paul mccartney you should have tried one by Slade, I think I mentioned in the lyrics. That that's what I was trying to get get across. I wasn't my sense of humor. Sometimes people might say, "Oh, that's a bit nasty," but honestly, it wasn't. It was, you know, it was just me saying to the band, "That was a bad. That was a bad Christmas cover." Yeah, <laughs> you should have you should have done one by Paul McCartney. You should have done one by Wizard or, or T Rex or whoever. Yeah, now. But I'm glad you enjoyed it. It was just some. I I, f I felt that the the album was a bit was getting bogged down with a sentimentality, um, and there was a reason behind that. Uh, if you don't mind me sharing, in the, the um, that year, my my dad had died, and at the beginning of the year, and. I was still in that sort of Christmas mode and I was starting to think of, you know, I'm not going to have Christmas with my dad anymore. And so I think there are, yes, things like first Christmas is not, is not a play on last Christmas. It's the first Christmas that I'm not, I'm not going to see my dad or sure. and things like that. So there was a lot. And every Christmas Eve as well is a, is a song thinking about my dad at Christmas. And, and so I, I was just, I was in that and I'd set myself the task from almost from hearing actually bad Christmas cover version was probably, I was thinking, right, I can do an album, but it will take me 12 months probably <laughs> <laughs> to come up with. Because and, and halfway through in the middle of summer, I was thinking, why have I done this? I can't, I can't do this, you know, 
when you think of people like Sir John Stevens, who just he just knocks out Christmas on Christmas on. I think, how are you doing this? Yeah. I, <laughs> I can't do it. But I, I got there in the end. And any, yeah. anyway, roundabout yeah. what I'm saying, bad Christmas cover version, almost kicked it off. And it just lightened the, as does the Andy Partridge Christmas yeah. song, just lightens that mood as I think I was just, I was just dipping into, yeah, feeling a bit too sorry for myself. Yeah. So, has anxiety about making a bad Christmas cover prevented you from doing Christmas covers? Because you really don't yes. have many, <laughs> if any. Yes. <laughs> because I, I yeah, because it, it will come back and bite you, as, as they say. No. I, I think, well, I think people will say, ah, yeah, you're no good. Yeah. And I think it's hard because I think there are a lot of lazy covers out there by very, very well-known performers who just pick uh, 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 Last Christmas or Wonderful Christmas Time and just, and you think you're just, you're just phoning it in, aren't you? You're not, you know. Um, so no, I don't think I would, no. <laughs> apart, from doing, apart from the traditional ones that yeah. I did with the Morstan Tale, you know, Silent Night and White Christmas and Rudolph and things like that. Apart from that, I don't think I would, no. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas, you banned in a terrible Christmas song. You banned in a version of a 70s classic. You banned in a version that all went wrong. You could have done a song by Wizard or Shaky. You might have sung a song by Cliff or Slade. threads come together in our last interview this week. Charlie Darling's song, An Indie Rock Christmas, shows up on one of the two volumes of Have Yourself a Merry Indie Christmas, a couple of British comps that were released this fall. Each one has 54 or so songs and proceeds for the sale go to Crisis, a British nonprofit that helps the homeless. British music journalist Kevin McGrath pulled the project together and he'll explain more about Crisis and how he found much of the music for the comp. One of his sources was Jim Goodwin's Christmas Underground site, and I talked to Jim last week. I'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. One of the first songs to get my attention on Have Yourself a Merry Indie Christmas is the Swansea Sounds, Merry Christmas to Me. So let's start there. Then we'll talk to Kevin McGrath after that on 12 Songs. I go. Um, first off, tell me about tell me about the project. Um, is have yourself a merry indie Christmas. And first off, what is the? I mean, I'm from New Orleans, and so I know this is benefiting a UK uh, organization. But tell me about who this is benefiting first. Yeah, Crisis is a one of the leading uh, charities in the UK that seeks to help uh, the homeless, um, and we. We've supported them as a family just through small donations over the years. Uh, particularly, um, they have a campaign every year called Crisis at Christmas, where they try to raise money to um, get um, homeless people to come in, have a Christmas meal, have a bed for the night, have some health checks, some ongoing 
uh, guidance and with a view to trying to help them in the future. Um, so it's a well-established campaign in the in the UK. Uh, they've got a lot of celebrity supporters on their website, like Ed Sheeran and Chris Martin and whatever. So it's quite a big, uh, big organization. Yeah. Right. And so how did the idea of doing a, an indie rock Christmas compilation come about? Yeah. Yeah. I did. I did. A, I'm a music journalist. I've been writing about music for about a decade or so. I did. Um, uh, I created an album last year for the, cancer hospital where I where I've been a patient for the last decade. Um, and that did quite well. I raised a few thousand pounds. So I thought I've I've always loved Christmas music. Um, I love Christmas. I love Christmas music. It's a big part of the rituals of Christmas, you know, is to listen to this sort of same Christmas records I've been listening to since I was a kid. But I thought if I was going to do something, I'd like to do originals to find bands that are already recorded a Christmas song or would record one specifically for the, the project. Um, I didn't have a number of songs in mind. I wasn't really sure what I would find when I started to look for sort of original Christmas songs, but I soon discovered that there was many, many, many songs out there that I'd never heard that I loved. And it was then a matter of trying to get hold of as many of those as I possibly could. And it just kept escalating. I could have stopped it. 40, 40 would have been a sensible, sensible album. And then someone would send a song in that I'd wanted. And I thought, yes, punch the air. I'm going to put that in 41, 42. <laughs> and in the end, I had to stop. But I stopped at 108, which you can tell is a ridiculous number. I <laughs> didn't even do it at 100 or 110. I just thought, I've got to stop. I've got to stop. Otherwise, I'll never get this thing out. So it's 108 tracks split over two, um, 54 tracks, digital volumes. And there's a limited edition CD, which is 16 tracks, but had uh, quite a few people asking if there was going to be anything on CD. And to be honest, I, I'm of a generation that, you know, likes to listen on vi to vinyl and CDs, whereas my daughters, you know, they're 99.9% .9 listening to stuff digitally and so on. So um, covered covered both bases uh, there, I think, yeah. Wow. So, so you whittled this down. So for the CD, you whittled it down to 16 each? <laughs> yeah, wow. be pretty ruthless to dispatch with 92 songs or whatever. Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> but um, it was a. I had some funding from a um, a South African label called Subjangle. They specialize in in sort of jangle pop. So I was looking for songs that would, even though they left the selection entirely up to me, and they haven't wanted to get involved at all. They they don't even want their name mentioned. They just just a very generous offer, no strings attached. But I thought I'd like to do something in keeping with their ethos of what would fit into their label. And there was enough songs of that of that kind on the, the album, because although it's called Have Yourself a Merry Indie Christmas, um, there's a lot of tracks on it that wouldn't come under the indie genre of music, but more just as independent music in general. So there's quite a lot of Americana on there, a bit of electro, some some country and some folk. But most of it would be indie pop, indie rock. Yeah. Fancy was a working girl Up and down the interstate Ronnie was a truck driver Without a state plates Looking for a day So did you actually, like, 
tap people or ask people or approach people looking for 108 songs? Yeah. Did you look yeah, for more than that? that one. Did you look for more? Did I you just have- set that one day in, in January. That was the strange thing that started just after Christmas. That was a bit strange because I just had about two months solid of Christmas music and I wasn't really in the mood for Christmas music. But I thought, if I'm going to start it, I better start early because I don't know what I'm doing here. I have no idea where to find these songs. So I just sat at the computer and started to Google things like uh, underground Christmas songs or under the radar or alternative Christmas songs. And I managed to stumble upon some of the excellent sites that are out there, um, Christmas Underground and Christmas Go-Go. And there's, there's, loads, there's loads of them which surprised me. So then it was a matter of listening to those songs because I was very, very few that I knew already. So I had to sit down and listen to well, probably anywhere between 500 and 1,000 different songs through the year. And I then started to try and approach those artists either by a message on their Bandcamp page or Twitter or writing to their label, anything I could, any way I could find to contact them. Um, so that, that was a pretty arduous process. It could, you know, it could get a bit frustrating and sometimes there'd be no reply and you think, shall I try again? And then I started to get something on the third and fourth try. They would suddenly come out of no one and say, oh yeah, yeah, I did see this a few months ago. I meant to get in touch. So I had to keep trying ones that I already tried. So it became a very long process, but it was a lot of fun. It was loads of punch the air moments when I thought, I cannot believe I've got this song. Um, so yeah, it was great. Yeah, good fun. Who was the first? Who was the first person to turn in a song and to agree? Uh, funnily enough, it was the um, it was American band, the Kintners, um, a country sort of country folk, I guess that sort of area they operate in. But it was interesting because I just chanced upon a song, which was by um, an outfit called Subway Choir, and when I when I traced it, the song the person who had written the song was from Cardiff, just ten miles down the road from me. But Kelly Kintner of the Kintners was singing on that song. Um, It's a a lovely song. And then from that, that was the first one. Then I asked the Kintners if they had anything, and they did. So the first two songs were not indie songs at all, really, but um, they were too good to to turn down. I like country music anyway. And they were, were, I thought they were two beautiful songs. So that's where where I started, yeah. Was there a... Was there a time, like whether it was a time period or just sort of a moment where things kind of took energy and you started to get more people responding and you started to see what this is actually going to look like? Yeah, a big plus for me was was, was stumbling across Christmas Underground. I don't know if you know the site. Um, but I could not believe how many songs were on that site. And I liked the way the chap, Jim, I think is Jim, um, was writing about the songs. It was interesting to write to read what he was writing about as well as to listen to the songs. I found it a good site to just spend hours reading about and then listen to the songs. So once I was hearing that number of quality songs, I thought this is practical. I can do this. I may not get everyone, but there's an, there's enough people who I think artists, musicians, artists are generally um, you know compassionate, generally able to see that their music can be used to, you know, help something along like a project for the homeless and so on. So I thought I had a good, I had a good pitch, if you like, for want of a better word that, you know, this is a Christmas song, you know, some people at Christmas are, are struggling. It's not all, you know, happy families. 
and um, you know your songs already out there would you mind you know I, I phrased it as saying would you mind donating a song to a good cause and you know a lot of lot of musicians were, were very only you know too eager to help so yeah it became a real practical thing pretty soon into it really I think I, there wasn't any point where I thought oh this isn't going to work because I think I came across Christmas Underground within a few weeks of I've started to do it and then they they had links to all these other sites and podcasts and all manner of um, radio shows that did their Christmas mixes every year that I could trawl through and so on so yeah there was loads of this gold mine of stuff out there which I'd never come across so I really enjoyed putting all that together. At the end of November Santa moved to New York She rang him two days later Told him it wouldn't work They'd agreed to give it a go Try long distance Then she let him know She wouldn't give it a chance Merry Christmas, darling But it's Was there a song or an artist that when you got a yes, you were particularly excited? Yeah, there were some interesting, there were some successes and some very interesting failures as well. On the successes, um, I, I, this is probably a band which not many people perhaps in America would know. Not many people know them um, in this country necessarily, but there's a band called uh, the Pearl Fishers, a Scottish indie band. They make They make music which... I suppose you could say be influenced by the likes of Burt Baccarat, the Beach Boys. They sound a bit like bands like Prefab Sprout and um, uh, Edwin Collins and so forth. So I've always liked the band and um, their Christmas album, which they wrote, um, or blindly, it's probably 20 years ago now, um, called A Sunflower at Christmas, is one of my sort of top five Christmas albums of all time. So I was determined to approach them and see if they would um, would get involved in it, and they did. So once I got that, I thought, I cannot believe I've got them on an album I'm doing. And the same thing went for Suzzy Roach, because I've always been a big fan of the Roaches, huge fan of the Roaches. So I just dashed off a, uh, an email or a bandcap message to her, because I realized, I'd noticed that they'd she'd recorded Christmas Love with um, Lucy Wainwright Roach a few years back for a retrospective album of his sister's music and she was happy to to take part so they were the the two main successes Pete Astor this is really an indie pop legend he's one or two theories that he invented indie pop he was he was um singing with the loft uh one of the original indie pop bands and then the weather prophet so I loved so I, he's on the album as well and of the near misses Ron Sexsmith he was all for it, but couldn't get it done with his uh, previous label because he didn't own the um, didn't own the, the song and uh. And but, but another level again, um, Chris Butler from the Waitresses got in touch with me, and there's always a no covers album. He got in touch with me and said, "You can I'll let you have the song for the album if you can get Richard Thompson to record it." He'd heard Richard Thompson do a version in concert somewhere, which I he sent me the link to have a look at it on the, on YouTube or whatever, and there he was doing it. 
Uh, so I did approach Richard Thompson, but I never heard anything back. So that, that didn't quite get me. And uh, the other uh, people I was in touch with were the Webb Brothers, because they had a Christmas song that I liked. I didn't realise it was a cover, so it wouldn't have been it wouldn't have counted anyway. But they said, what about having a chat with my with our father, Jimmy Webb? Uh, he's, he's, he's had a Christmas album over the year, which I knew, but that didn't lead anywhere either. So there were some close shaves to some pretty big, pretty big artists there, yeah. Thanks to Americo Gazaway, Charlie Darling, and Kevin McGrath for the time and the talk. If you like what you hear, you can find all of their music through Bandcamp, which is one of the better digital marketplaces for musicians, since they get a bigger percentage of the sales there than they do at some other platforms. If you like this episode or 12 songs in general, let people know about us. Talk about 12 songs on Twitter before it turns into the Wild West, or talk about it on Mastodon, so people there will have something to do better than talk about Twitter and Mastodon. We're going to wrap up with one more from Have Yourself a Merry Andy Christmas. These are the Hitsville Drunks with JC Says JC. Talk to you next week. Jesus Christ says, Jesus Christ, this whole place is a mess. Jesus Christ says, Jesus Christ, and I'm the Son of God, no less.